Our Old Testament reading this morning, you might have heard of it, Darren. It's the story of the fall. It's in Genesis 3, uh, the first few verses, and, and there we hear how it all went wrong in Eden. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God hath made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from Paul's epistle to the Romans in the seventh chapter, beginning at verse 15. And continuing through verse 25, again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it. But sin that dwells within me, for I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that, I, that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Several days ago now, right after the work crew from Somerset Well had left the manse after their work in making some improvements to our water supply, I happened to notice that the American flag attached to the front of the screened porch looked, well, a bit funny. I went out to have a closer inspection and I discovered then the source of the problem. You see, the 
flag attaches to the pole by means of upper and lower metal clips. These pass through grommets that are sewn in the top and the bottom of the flag itself. And these metal clasps, they snap onto a pair of plastic rings that encircle the pole at top and bottom. Well, over time, wear and the elements have weakened these rings to the point where the uppermost one developed a crack in it, and that allowed the metal clasp attached to the grommet through the flag to fall out. The result was that only this lower ring was still intact and holding the bottom clip on the flag, so consequently, it's drooping upside down, hanging now from that one attachment point on the flagpole. Well, knowing that John Handy was due to be coming back shortly to continue his work on this project, I wanted to get the repairs made in a timely fashion. So a proud veteran of the U.S. Army, like my dad and some of you here, would not be disappointed at the care which the symbol of our nation was seemingly receiving at the hands of the pastor. So I rummaged through my toolbox until I found not great tape, though I do have that, but a zip tie, which I thought would make for a fine temporary fix. I figured I would run it through the top grommet of the flag and then around the very top of the flagpole, gripping the deeper groove that the lathe had made when fashioning the decorative cap to the pole. So I took the flag down and I weaved the zip tie through and I pulled it tight and it looked pretty good from Coney Island, as a friend of mine used to say. So I put it back up and I stood back to admire my handiwork. Nay bad, I thought. Well, the next morning, all was well. And by the time John arrived, along with your clerk, David, guess what? Yep, that's right. The fix had failed, and my flag was back to limply hanging upside down. I was going to have to try a different approach. And while I was puzzling over what to try next, another more troublesome thought occurred to me. This was not the first time that I had seen the flag of our country flying upside down. Growing up, I lived in a rural part of upper New York State. It was a long way away from the city and the hardships associated with the Big Apple back in those days. The region I lived in was in the heart of what had been the Iroquois Confederacy. In fact, there was a Native American archeological site on our next door neighbor's property. And I would often walk or run through the woods near our house on footpaths and trails that had first been used by the Indians. Well, coinciding with the civil unrest that was bubbling up across our nation in conjunction with the civil rights and the anti-war movements of that era, there was also a growing awareness of the ways in which the colonial settlers had defrauded or forcibly removed the Native Americans from their lands and settled them on much smaller reservations. Well, some advocates began back then to, to speak out uh, more forcefully about the 
Injustice, they perceived, had been done, and there were lawsuits that were filed and protests that were organized to seek return of tribal lands or at least fairer compensation. And recently I've had a sense of deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra used to say. I can still remember seeing many of the residents of the reservations and their supporters hanging their American flags upside down on their property. Though I probably didn't get it then, I understand now it's a universal sign of distress. Their message was, our nation is in distress. Which brings me back to the flag at the manse. For two out of three days last week, it was hanging upside down. And despite my attempt to fix it, it was still hanging upside down. And it dawned on me that it was such a metaphor, I thought perhaps the Lord was sending me a message. So I stopped trying to fix it for a little bit. And I took to gazing at it and reflecting on just what it could mean. For certainly, uh, on this Independence Day weekend in 2020, we are citizens of a nation in distress. We are under attack from without and from within. We are at war with an unseen opponent. We are at war with each other. We are at war with ourselves. This is not what we would want to be the case. This is not what we would choose, but it is the very same enigmatic contradiction that Paul identifies for the Romans at the outset of this morning's reading when he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. From my standpoint, at least, that seems an apt summation of our culture, of our institutions, of our society, of our world, even still. So if this is the case, that we are indeed in a situation that we don't want to be in, then what is to be done? That's the 64,000 or million or billion or trillion dollar question now, isn't it? How do we get our house in order? How do we fix our flag? It seems as if everyone has an opinion or two or more about that. A lot of people are spending a lot of breath pontificating. Pundits and politicians, consultants and experts from any number of disciplines have been weighing in on the State of the Union and what steps we need to take to improve it. And as I stand here before you on this Independence Day weekend of 2020, I must confess to you that I have nothing new to add to the discussion. All I can do as a minister, a disciple of Jesus the Christ, all I hope that I have been doing, all that I hope I shall continue to do is, like Paul, simply to point to the cross. Because that is, I believe, with all my being, where all the answers to all our troubles are. It's the only place where the answers to all our troubles ever will be found. Now, as it so happens, also providentially this week, 
I was made aware from a couple of different sources of a documentary film. It was made about Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a Welshman who at the age of 16 began medical training at the prestigious St. Bartholomew's Hospital in England. But who, after all that education, all that training, all that practical work, was to be called away from the healthcare field? Not long after graduation, this sounds familiar to some of us, to become a so-called surgeon of souls, eventually coming to prominence as one of the 20th century's greatest preachers. During the time when he was in a vocational transition as his calling to his work as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ was beginning to take more firm hold of him, he gave a particularly noteworthy lecture in 1925 that he titled The Tragedy of Modern Wales. In the biography, I was watching one of those who was interviewed about Dr. Lloyd-Jones' work and his legacy explained that the tragedy that he referred to in the title of his address was that the people of his day thought that the need in Wales was for more education, better housing, employment, and so on. And this, he argued, was all superficial. Something much more fundamental was needed. Any of this sound familiar? And of course, the fundamental thing he was referring to involved the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I think back on my time in seminary, I can hear echoes of some of my professors reminding us of the importance of countering the temptations of modern preaching with the fundamental and unchanging message of the old, old story. And here in Lloyd-Jones' 1925 address, he is, I think, perhaps saying much the same sort of thing that C.S. Lewis would go on to say in his BBC radio broadcasts during the 1940s that people don't need a savior if they don't recognize their sin. So even as Lewis was living in and speaking to those who were the last bastion of defense in Europe, who were preserving and protecting the rights to freedom in Europe against all odds and a brutal Nazi war machine, the people in Britain needed to be reminded that their flag, too, was broken. Yes, despite Pollyannish claims to the contrary, I believe our flag is broken, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, but not just ours, the flag of every nation under heaven. All the banners of all the empires that have ever arisen or ever will arise. In a commentary that he would write about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Dr. Lloyd-Jones astutely pointed out the terrible, tragic fallacy of the last hundred years has been to think that all man's troubles are due to his environment and that to change the man, you have nothing to do but to change his environment. That is a tragic fallacy. It overlooks the fact that it was in paradise that man fell. 
as we were reminded once again in this morning's Old Testament reading. He's reminding us that humanity at one time had it all. And it wasn't enough. Everything was perfect. But people were not content simply with God. So you see, all the suggestions put forth by so many experts quoted in the press or self-promoting their fixes on social media, I have to take them all with a, a pretty good grain of salt. We cannot create a utopia. For as soon as our imperfect attempts are declared complete, we will realize that they are somehow lacking. No, what this country needs, as a church sign read, is not more trust in donkeys or elephants, but more trust in the lamb. Or in Paul's words, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as we continue to celebrate and to appreciate the rights and the opportunities that are afforded us under the stars and stripes, may we be even more humble and grateful for the only one with the power to fulfill all the noble ideals this nation whose broken flag was meant to embody to create a more perfect union, to guarantee peace and justice for all, to finally fix our flag and all flags. We may have gotten ourselves into this mess, I'll agree to that, but we certainly aren't going to get ourselves out. Hear these words of the Apostle again, For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. No matter how smart we think we are, or clever, or enlightened, or modern, or postmodern, we simply have not the wisdom to overcome the sin that lays at the heart of our hurts, our divisions, our broken flags. Had God thought otherwise, he would not have sent us, the people of this world, a savior, a redeemer, a son, but he so loved the world, that's just what he did. What if the world loved like that? What if we loved like that? What if we would stop refusing the gift of unity, peace, wholeness, healing, and abundant life that has been freely opened to all of us? I've chosen to leave the flag at the manse the way it is, for one last day, as a reminder to myself to consider these things. And I invite those of you who have come here today as you drive past on your way home to look upon this sign yourselves. Then tomorrow, I'll get out the toolbox once again. I'll make some more lasting, albeit still temporary, repairs to show my respect for the flag and what she stands for. But even then, I will do so, fully aware that no matter how it looks, the truth of the matter is, our flag is broken, and it is the triune God alone who can supply a permanent fix. And for that, we may truly.